Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Julia Feldman, project coordinator and sustainability leader at Teva, talks to students about how to incorporate sustainability into the design process and how she stays motivated and excited about the fight for sustainability. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Julia. I'm super excited to be here this morning, talk to you about design and sustainability. So let's get into it really quick. So um, just a high level of what I'll be sharing today. I'll share a quick intro about myself, and then we'll jump into different approaches for designing for sustainability. I'll share an example of circularity and footwear through the Teva Forever program. Um, and I'll share some insights about what success looks like in this space and some challenges. Um, if you have any thoughts or questions, I can't see my chat. So t- feel free to interrupt me. I don't mind at all. And I can, I'll keep an eye on the chat too. If you Okay, like. sweet. That would be great. Um, so a little bit about me. I graduated from UC Santa Barbara with a degree in environmental science and a certificate in technology management. Um, While I was there, I focused my research and my studies on circular economy practices, industrial ecology principles, the intersectionality of power, justice in the environment, environmental ethics, and energy in the environment. Um, And during my senior year of college, I landed an internship with Teva on the product team. The headquarters is actually in Santa Barbara, right down the street from UCSB, so it was really convenient. I could just bike over there. Um, And as soon as I graduated, they offered me a full-time role. I literally graduated on a Saturday, moved into a new apartment on a Sunday, and started work full-time on Monday. Um, And I've been there for three years. So um, I work on most of our sustainability initiatives from the product side, um, as well as managing women's and kids' products. So um, yeah, on the product team. And then I also decided recently to go back to grad school and get my MBA in sustainable solutions. So I'll be graduating next year. Um, I love being in school. I'm a big nerd. I think there's so much to learn always, especially in such an emerging field like this. So um, I'm really excited to bring what I'm learning in grad school back to my work at Teva um, and hopefully share some with you all as well. So let's get into some different approaches um, for designing for sustainability. So I just want to 
preface this, that this is not a comprehensive framework at all, but it's really built on the last three years of my experience at Teva, working on building really complex consumer products. So um, first things first, the most sustainable thing to design is to design nothing at all, because no product has no environmental impact. It has no waste. But that's just not the world that we live in. And sometimes we have to make a product uh, to serve a new customer, to fill a need in the market. Um, so it's really essential that you vet out from the beginning why it is that you're building that product. Do you really need something new here? Can you update something that uh, you have to fill that need? Is it providing additional value for your brand or for your customer? So you really want to make sure that there's a resounding yes to this. Otherwise, you might just be making something for the sake of making something. And that's pretty wasteful. The other thing that I suggest you think about is that sustainability can't compromise the minimum viable performance of a product. Because if it does, your product will be essentially useless. No one will buy it. And, and if they do, they'll hate it and they'll throw it away and it'll all go to waste. So it's a really fine line to walk, but it's something that we really have to consider, especially at Teva, since we're making outdoor performance footwear. So the things we ask ourselves before we design something, is the product we're making intentional and additional to our market? If yes, can we design this product to have the least impact without compromising our performance benefits? So that's just a primer. <laughs> um, so everyone's seen some form of this graphic before. Yeah, it's like the product design life cycle. So products begin as ideas that are meant to solve a need or fill a hole in the market. You must go through the design and development phase before they're distributed to consumers. Consumers then use the product. And eventually, in this current linear model, they'll get rid of it. Most likely, it'll end up in a landfill. Given that so few things can actually be recycled through our recycling bins. Um, so sustainability is actually really important to think about at the ideation and the design and development stage, because the majority of that product's environmental impact is determined at these stages. So when you're choosing materials, you're potentially going to choose the level of carbon emissions that this product will generate, the amount of water used, the amount of energy used, et cetera. From the materials to even the processes that you choose to actually manufacture the products, these choices made up front will determine the environmental impact even before anything is ever made. So that's why it's really important to have sustainability as a key pillar when you're designing and developing a product and not just treating it as an afterthought. The other thing that you can tackle when designing for sustainability is end of life for that product. So currently, having an end-of-life solution for products is not expected of companies. We just make a bunch of stuff, sell as many of them as we want, and there's no thought into how many of these products are going to end up in a landfill one day, um, where are they going to go when someone's done using it. So designing for end-of-life is bigger than just the product. You actually have to consider the entire system. So we'll get into this in a little bit more detail um, in a little bit, but I want to emphasize how important it is just to think about sustainability from the beginning. Um, so there's a few different schools of thought when it comes to considering sustainability at the design stage, and I've broken it down into two categories, the front-end impact and the end-of-life impact. So again, this is not a comprehensive list by any means, but these ideas have just helped me navigate building sustainable products with my design and development teams at Teba. 
So first, we'll take a look at some concepts to tackle sustainability on the front end, including less is more, material inputs, circularity, and regeneration. So first up, we have less is more and efficiency. So these ideas really get at intentionality. How much can you eliminate from the product in terms of materials and features without corrupting the product or performance? Can you consolidate materials? Can you create a more efficient yield? Can you eliminate reinforcements or closures? This is a really great approach for designing something on a really tight budget because creating these efficiencies, consolidating materials, all these things can help drive down costs of production and it often reduces waste while doing so. Next up, we have uh, a little bit more granular material inputs and processes. So this is probably what most people think about when they think of sustainability on the front end. So this is really, you know, looking at the materials and choosing materials. So a question you can ask yourself is when choosing materials, what is the least impactful material I can use without compromising the performance? So some tools that can be really helpful that can provide data for this would be life cycle assessments. Um, if you have access to life cycle assessments, that's amazing. Uh, if you're like me and you're a total nerd, you can look at academic scholarly journals if you don't have access to that type of information. But a life cycle assessment basically calculates the environmental impact of a raw material from cradle to gate or cradle to cradle. So that's from like the very beginning of its life as a material to the very end or to you know, just its manufacturing stage. So these can be really helpful tools to help you understand with data uh, what the environmental impact of a material is. So the HIG index is a really um, popular one. It used to be open source. I'm not sure if it is anymore. But when you're working with a brand, it you know most brands have been investing in tools like this to have access to these types of information. Um, okay. Then also depending on the intended use of the product, you also may want to consider whether or not you want to go for synthetic or natural materials. So with synthetics, you could try to find recycled materials like recycled nylons or plastics. And then with natural materials, you could go for organic cotton or hemp or jute, something that has a lower environmental impact. Um, but you, again, want to go back to those first questions of like, what is this product being used for? Uh, that'll help guide your decision. For Teva, we tend to use more synthetic materials because we need high performance, durability, um, things like that, where we can't get all of those benefits from using just natural materials. So that'll really help guide your decision making as well. And then the last thing to think about is the process. What's the process going to be of manufacturing this product? Um, so for example, if you're choosing something, choosing to create something that uses leather, leather requires a lot of tanning, which is intense on the environment. It uses a lot of water and chemicals, not to mention the environmental impact that agriculture has, like you know, contributing to deforestation and land use issues and all these things. But the trade-off with leather is that it's a really premium material and it's extremely durable if taken care of. So durability helps reduce overconsumption. So you really have to consider the trade-offs that you're going to make because no material is going to be perfect. Next, we have circularity, which has become a super hot topic over the last few years, which is awesome. Um, so this is something that I'm particularly interested in, and I'm really excited to share Teva's example of circularity in a little bit. But um, 
it can be defined as a model of production and consumption, which involves sharing, leasing, reusing, repairing, refurbishing, and recycling existing materials and products for as long as possible. So the essential concept for us is how can we design this product to recirculate the materials and value and eliminate waste for as long as possible? So even bigger than just designing a product, circularity requires you to address the entire system. How must you adjust your business model and how must you design a system that will make this feasible? So choosing materials and construction is also really important for circularity. We'll dive a little bit deeper, deeper into why in just a little bit. The last one I want to cover is regeneration. So this is kind of emerging right now. It's taking things a little bit further than circularity. Um, regenerative design is a principle that calls for products or services to contribute to systems that renew or replenish themselves. So this means that the materials and energy that go into a product or a process can be reintroduced back into the system, requiring little or no maintenance to maintain it. So biomimicry is another design principle that can be deployed when thinking about creating regenerative project products. Um, but, you know, as I was doing my research for this, there, there's not a ton uh, of examples of consumer products that really deploy regeneration, uh, you know, full circle. Um, this field is really sort of emerging in agriculture and architecture right now, but I, I don't think it'll be long before we start seeing these ideas come to life in consumer products um, and some really cool innovations in this space. But one way that you can incorporate re regeneration into products is by sourcing natural materials that use regenerative farming practices. So, for example, let's go back to leathers. If you're going to source leather, you probably want to source it from a farm that uses regenerative practices because the environmental impact of that leather can somewhat be offset by the benefits like the carbon sequestration and the soil health benefits that are seen from regenerative agriculture. So just some food for thought. Okay, now let's focus on some end of life. Um, so determining which approach you want to take when designing a product will depend on the intended use of that product. Again, revisiting those first questions that we asked ourselves. Are we designing this with intention? Are we focused on the intended end use? So by knowing the answer to this last question, uh, you can hone in on the right approach that you want to take with end of life. So we'll talk about longevity, modularity, and multiple use cases designing for disassembly and recycling, and then finally decomposition. So first up, we have longevity. So many products were designed with longevity in mind in the past, but in recent years, planned obsolescence has really become super normal and really acceptable. Every product that we make should be durable, but in this case, it would be for a product that you can't really recycle um, or refurbish, and it can't decompose in the natural environment. So a question you can ask yourself is how can you design this product to last as long as possible at its highest value? You'll also want to ask how can you design this product to be refurbished and repaired? Um, and longevity helps combat overconsumption. It usually means that you're creating a premium product. It helps build trust with your customers. They know that your products won't fail on them. They'll want to take care of them and make them last even longer. Next up is designing for modularity or multiple use cases. So this doesn't exactly tackle sustainability in the traditional sense, 
Um, but it can be used in the sense of creating more value for your products by making them really versatile. Can you design this product to have modular aspects to reduce the need to buy even more products? How can you design this product to fill multiple needs? So again, we're tackling overconsumption. Ideally, this can be used in addition to one of the other concepts, such as recycling or refurbishment and decomposition. But I felt it was worth mentioning on its own because I think this is a space where designers and developers can get extremely creative to solve multiple problems with one solution, which always gets me excited. Next, we have designing for disassembly and recycling. So this is the approach that Tev has taken at our first attempt with Circularity. So some questions you can ask yourself at the design and development stage is, how can you design this product to be easily taken apart and recycled? How must you adjust your business model to make this feasible? So this choice will really take a systems thinking approach because often the brand must also be responsible for the recycling process as well. So it definitely affects the materials you choose and the construction you choose in this product. And I'll explain a little bit more with Teva in just a bit. And then lastly, we have designing for decomposition. So some questions you can ask yourself is, how can you source materials that can completely biodegrade without creating pollution? And does this make sense for the specific type of product you're developing? This one will likely not apply to all industries or product categories, given the expectations that we have as consumers for Example, natural materials typically are not as durable as synthetic materials when we think about clothing and footwear and accessories. Performance materials that are stretchy and non-wicking and waterproof, et cetera, are likely going to be all synthetic. So natural materials may make more sense for a product that you likely wouldn't expect to last very long, or you would expect a consumer to go through it or throw it away after a short period of time. Um, It's also really important to remember that mixed materials, I'm talking specifically about textile blends in this case, of synthetic and natural fibers can create what we call a monstrous hybrid that can neither be recycled nor decompose. So this is just currently a technical limitation of the industry at the moment. There's tons of smart people working on this stuff, but as of right now, there's no scalable solution for this. Um, So we just have to consider that uh, when we're developing products at the moment. Okay, so let's get into uh, our example. So in April of 2021, almost a year ago, Teva launched the Teva Forever program, a recycling program for our sandals. So the goal of this program was to be the first recycling program in the outdoor footwear industry to take responsibility for the waste that we've created and to finally close the loop. So our ultimate goal is to recycle old Tevas and make them into new ones. So what really inspired us is, you know, I, in grad school, I did um, my first semester, I had to do this big systems thinking project and I focused on uh, waste in the footwear industry um, just because that's my, my industry. So while doing this research, I, I discovered that the EPA estimates that over 300 million pairs of shoes are thrown away every year in the U.S. alone. And these shoes can take anywhere from 40 to 1,000 years to degrade because of the materials that they're made out of. And oftentimes, when they do degrade, they're not returning back to their natural form in the environment. They're just polluting the environment with microplastics and leaching synthetics back into the soil and the water systems that we use every day. So eliminating waste and pollution is key to ensuring the safety and prosperity of future generations. Um, So I feel really lucky to be working at Teva where um, we're focused on the outdoors and we, we really take it seriously to protect 
the outdoor places that we play. Um, so when we proposed this crazy idea, um, there was a lot of wide eyes and questioning, but also a lot of support. Um, and I just have to mention here that my boss, Jess Bensley, who is the senior product line manager on the women's side of, te- of the Teva team, um, she really took this by the horns and and ran with it. And she's the reason why this program came to life. So, um, so yeah, so circulating our products like this, it also reduces our need to rely on virgin materials like petroleum, which we use really often um, to make our webbing straps and for the foam in our bottom units. Um, so this, this program was about a year in the making, um, which honestly is really fast when it comes to developing a whole systems approach like this, um, because we basically had to reverse design our supply chain, um, which was really ambitious, but we did have a lot of support, like I mentioned. Um, so let's talk about the nitty gritty details of the circular economy. So, oh, this looks like crud on my screen. Sorry. This graphic is, uh, you might not be able to see it very well, but I'll make sure that I can share this out with everyone. This is one of the most comprehensive graphics out there about the circular economy, and it's made by the amazing humans at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So they're based in London. They're really leading the way in this space. If you're interested in circular economy approaches, they have tons and tons of resources on ellenmacarthurfoundation.org. And it's a lot of it is open source. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, So it might be a little bit hard to see, but on the left-hand side with the green bubbles, you have what's called renewable materials. And on the right side, you have, with the blue bubbles, you have what's called finite materials. So renewable materials include natural materials that can biodegrade back into our biofeedstock with no problem. Um, And the finite materials include resources that we've manufactured. So technology, our cell phones and computers, plastics, building materials, cars, performance fabrics, you know, things like that. All of these things would fall under finite resources. So the circular flow of your product will go through one of these butterfly loops, depending on the type of resource your product is made out of. So I'm going to focus on the right side, the finite material side, since most of our consumer products for Teva fall under that side. So there's, as you can see, there's many levels to circularity, um, including sharing, maintaining and prolonging, reuse, redistribution, refurbish, and then finally recycle. So you'll notice that recycling is actually the last one out there because it requires the most energy and the most inputs of resources to do so. So there's a lot of intermediary steps that you can take before launching a full-fledged recycling program that could be classified as being part of the circular economy. So for Teva, we knew that recycling was going to be our best bet because the cost to refurbish our sandals was way too high for our price point. And many of these sandals were probably going to be in pretty bad, crusty shape. (laughs) So um, we knew we didn't want to resell or redistribute those. So we decided to launch our Teva Forever program to solve this problem. Could you all hear that? It didn't say anything, but it was just music. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that was from our creative team. There was a, a pretty big launch around it. We launched um, 
around Earth Day last year, and it was really exciting. There was a lot of great feedback from people, um, and it really built trust with our consumers because they recognized that we were taking responsibility for all of the waste that we've created over the years. And, you know, Teva's been around since 1984, so there's tons of sandals out there that that need a need a new life. So um, one of the reasons we were able to achieve this program at such a large scale is because of this iconic design that actually have a super simple construction. So this is our original universal sandal. So this is one of the first styles that Teva really became famous for. And like I mentioned, products like this have been on the market since 1984. And we have you know, people send us letters with pictures of their sandals that they've had since 1984. So you can imagine how many old crusty shoes are sitting in people's closets that are just, you know, waiting to be recycled. So as I mentioned, they have a really straightforward design. It really only uses three materials in the upper. So the straps are made of polyester. So since 2020, we've been using recycled polyester, but it's made of the same base component, which is PET. Um, we have our plastic tri-rings, which are the triangles that hold the straps, that attach the straps together. And then we have hook and loop, which is the Velcro um, to make the straps adjustable. So that's those are the three components that are, are in the upper. And then the bottom unit is made only of two materials. You'll see the layers of EVA um, on the midsole and the topsole. And then on the outsole, we just have a very thin layer of rubber. Um, so again, it's a super simple construction. There's just four points of connection where the strap is cemented into the footbed and you can see those, you know, where the dotted lines are. So at the recycling facility, we determined that it was possible just to snip off the straps where they connect to the footbed and recycle the two parts in two separate streams. Um, because the, the materials were like enough between the bottom unit, the, the rubber and EVA, and then the upper, which was, you know, polyester and nylon, um, they could be recycled together and not contaminate the waste stream too much. Um, so our simple and iconic design is actually what made this program possible. Okay, so where are we now? Almost a year into the program, we've received thousands of shoes to be recycled. And our partner, TerraCycle, has been holding on to a percentage of these shoes that we received to begin working on an R&D phase to reincorporate recycled materials back into our products. So this is where we are currently. Um, we're still figuring out the feasibility of this. Um, it's requiring tons of multi-stakeholder meetings, including you know, people from our webbing supplier, from the recycling facility, the product team, design team, materials team, development team. So you know, it's taken a lot of people to, to make this happen. Um, but if all things go to plan, we may be able to incorporate some of this recycled material back into our products sometime by 2023. So super exciting, happening faster than we thought. Um, but this, you know, didn't happen without roadblocks. And I want to share some of the challenges that we faced to, you know, maybe prepare you for what you might face if you decide to create a program like this. Um, so alignment is a huge one because there's so many teams involved in making this happen. Alignment across all departments, all levels of the business, it's really, really essential. So for us, it was really important to prove the benefits of this program to receive the necessary funding, you know, not only because it's just the right thing to do as a business, but um, we needed to share that there would be some financial benefits or, you know, the benefits to our consumers that would make them more loyal, 
trusting, come back to us. So we spent a lot of time building out that business case to get the, the budget and align with all of our teams. Um, technical obstacles are another thing to watch out for. So for us, we uh, recognize that due to the construction of our footwear, at this point, we can only tackle sandals. And that's, you know, that's mainly what we're known for as a business, but we do have a growing closed toe footwear business. We have a lot of really amazing performance hike shoes um, that are closed toe boots, basically waterproof boots. Um, and because of the construction of those shoes, you can't recycle those with, with the current system that we've designed. So we're discussing alternative methods of end of life approaches for those things like, you know, refurbishment and longevity versus recycling. Um, partnerships is another huge one. So one of the biggest decisions that we had to make when determining uh, whether or not we wanted to do this in-house or find a third party to partner with. So ultimately for us, we decided to partner with a third party recycler because the cost and the labor required for doing this in-house was just astronomical for us because we didn't already have the capabilities set up. And then finally, closing the loop. So um, like I mentioned, we're in the R&D phase to figuring out if this is possible for us. Um, and it can be one of the hardest parts. So many recycling programs in the outdoor industry or the apparel footwear industry don't even try to tackle closing the loop because it can be such a headache. Um, what they often do is they downcycle. So, you know, for example, they take a pair of shoes and they shred it up and those shreds go to things like building playgrounds or um, track and field tracks. Um, but we felt it was important for us to at least try to close the loop um, so that we could keep our precious resources at their highest value for the longest amount of time. So that doesn't mean that we're not downcycling. So at this point, because we, we haven't um, fully fledged out the, the reverse supply chain to get this these materials back into our products, we are still having to downcycle uh, the shoes that we're receiving so far. But Hopefully throughout this R&D phase, we'll be able to um, stop that and, and hold on to these, these precious materials. Um, and there are some things that we did right that I you know, would highly recommend doing when you're building out a program like this. Um, and I think they were really keys to our success. So collaboration was a huge one. Like I mentioned, there's so many moving parts and so many teams that open communication and collaboration are absolutely essential for the success of this project. It led to better alignment around our intended outcomes. So we were all striving for the same goals on the same timeline and staying within budget which if you're in project management, that's like those three things. People love to hear it. <laughs> um, being open to change was another huge one. So designing for end of life often requires changes in systems, operations, and processes. So open-mindedness is really key because um, we're basically reverse engineering our supply chain in a way that requires you to be open to change. Um, the next one is being aware that there are multiple stakeholders. This is super duper important. It was really clear to us from the beginning that no team could do this alone. Um, so it's really necessary also to understand upfront who those key stakeholders are to make this happen and include them from the start. So for us, obviously, it was our triad, the design, development, and product team. We had to get support from our leadership team. We had to get support from our e-commerce team because this, the recycling program would live on their website. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of teams from this upfront that we needed to have alignment before we could even start looking for a partner to help us with recycling. 
And then lastly, research and experimentation. So unfortunately, sometimes the solutions that we work so hard to design are not feasible. And being able to fail quickly and pivot is really important to ensuring success. So at Teva, we still sort of view this as an experiment. We're gathering data points every step of the way. And there may be places where we need to pivot from the original plan, and that's okay too. Um, We believe in progress over perfection. We need a lot more brands making progress than just a few people who are doing it perfectly. So yeah, that is all I have um, to share with you today. I'm super happy to be available through my email, through LinkedIn, whatever it is. And um, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions you may have, any thoughts. We can have a discussion. Um, Yeah, I'll stop sharing so I can see you all. All right, what questions do you guys have? I have one question about like sourcing materials. Um, So when it comes to sustainably sourcing materials, what's one way that Teva goes about doing that? Like, do they talk with other companies or do they like, or yeah, just like, what do you do? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, So Teva is housed within a larger corporation called Deckers. Deckers owns UGG, Hoka One One, Teva, and Sanuk. Um, And then they have this like innovations lab that's small and kind of weird, but (laughs) Um, because Deckers has all of these companies under its umbrella, um, we have a dedicated sourcing and materials team. Um, And their entire job is to build relationships with suppliers. Um, Our suppliers go through intense auditing to make sure that um, they're up they're up to our standards in terms of an ethical supply chain. Um, and we make it really clear to them that we're interested in sustainable materials. So um, a couple times a year, they have uh, meetings with our supplier teams um, and the suppliers can show any new materials that they have in their portfolios, new recycled materials, new biomaterials, things like that. Um, and then the, the materials team will share that with the brands. They'll share it mostly with the design development and product teams so that we can align around the direction that we want to go in for whatever products we're developing that season. Sweet. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Has Teva or Teva always been sustainably minded or was it hard to kind of get this ball rolling? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I can only speak for the last three years that I have been there. I think it is unique working in the outdoor industry because um, our business relies on the fact that people have access to the outdoors and the outdoors can be maintained. So there's already kind of this inherent desire to protect the outdoors in that sense, because it's just (laughs) important for our business. Um, But I will say... I don't know that um, sustainability was as top of mind as it has been in the last three years. I think it's really become a key part of our strategy. We're recognizing that it's just a table stake now that, you know, maybe at one point it used to be a competitive advantage for us, but it's just like, it's just baseline. We have, we have to do it now. So um, we've had a lot of conversations around this in all of our global meetings and getting everybody on board with these ideas. And we're also seeing that our, our retailers, the, the, um, 
our wholesale partners who purchase Tevas and, and sell them at their stores, they are super excited that we're doing sustainability stuff. You know, they they love talking about it and it makes it easier for them to support us. So um, it's been good for our business as well, even though there's maybe some trade-offs with buying a little bit more of expensive materials when it comes to building our products and things like that. So I think we've done a, a pretty good job of, of walking that line. Cool. Thanks. We could always be doing better though, you know, progress. <laughs> I can also answer any questions of what it's like working in the footwear industry. If anybody's interested in shoes and, and going into footwear or anything else. I have a question about the sort of longer term goals for Teva um, with the success that you've had with recycling sandals, are there sort of larger goals that are related to like finding ways to recycle all footwear that's produced or is some just not likely to be recycled? And so maybe they can be made out of recyclable or recycled materials into new footwear. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we are still sort of navigating the waters of a long-term plan with the recycling program. Um, I think, you know, one thing with sustainability is we're always, it's, it's so emerging. There's, you know, new technologies and new materials coming out all the time. Um, and I think there will be ways, hopefully there will be ways where, that we can recycle our closed toe footwear. Um, at the moment, I don't think it'll be possible with the current uh, iteration of our recycling program that we have developed so far. Um, and, you know, one thing that I just would like to mention is that uh, the reliance that we have as a society on finite materials. So I'm thinking specifically materials that are made from petroleum. So for us, plastics, foams, things like that, fibers that are made from petroleum or derived from petroleum. Um, I think the next phase of sustainability, even beyond recycling, is going to be replacing those materials with some sort of renewable input that can be can decompose and can go back into the biofeedstock without um, polluting it. So I think we're quite a ways away from that, though, just because we have such high standards of what we expect from our footwear, what we expect from our clothing, our backpacks, things like that. Um, so it's just interesting to think about, you know, even though we are using recycled materials, those recycled materials are still derived from petroleum. So at the end of the right. day, we're still contributing to that, that um, you know, to the 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 need for it and the reliance on it in our society. So that's always sort of on my mind of like, how can we move past our reliance on these materials? I kind of have a question about like collaborations. Cause I know that like Teva did a collaboration um, with Cotopaxi. And I was just curious how you guys go about kind of ensuring that, certain parts are taken on by Teva or certain parts are taken on Cotopaxi or how do they kind of blend together? Yeah. Also really good question. Um, so collaborations are super interesting because they are always a wild card. Um, certain collaborations don't work out because we can't figure out what 
the, you know, the responsibility that's going to be shared between the brands. Um, but with Cotopaxi, the, our teams work really well together. And um, I think it, it also helps that we're very aligned in terms of our values as brands. Um, so that really helped. Um, for the collaborations with Cotopaxi, we did, uh, we've done a couple or, well, at least two have launched. Um, and the first one we did the Tekka jacket from Cotopaxi and then the Teva original universal sandal, which is like really confusing that it's just one letter apart. Um, so in that sense, we, you know, each team, we worked collaboratively on the designs together. Um, the, each design team would develop the designs. We'd have conversations about what it would look like. Um, and then we would, we each took responsibility for manufacturing those, those different products. Um, for the first launch, we also incorporated some of the recycled or upcycled ripstop from Cotopaxi on our webbing straps. Um, and that was a big lift, just the, figuring out the logistics of getting their materials to our facilities, making sure it passes testing, all those things. So um, that took some time and a lot of patience. Um, but yeah, it's, it is really a conversation and it's kind of different with each brand um, that we speak to. So yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds way more intensive than you think. <laughs> yeah. You think it would be easy. And then it's, you know, there's, especially there's all these like con contractual things and legal things. And, you know, mm -hmm. you wish it was just like, let's make something cool together, but it's, you know, it's a Do lot you know more. of anything that like caused like something to fall through in a collaboration or just in general? Cause I feel like we always see how things are successful, but like yeah. simple things of how products don't kind of make it on the market in a sustainable sense or like just in the development stages, like are there some examples that you, you know of? Yeah, I will say that we've had conversations with a few brands in the past that we have wanted to do collaborations with, whether we approached them or they approached us. And um, because the alignment of the, our values, just, you know, as brands, like what our value proposition as a brand didn't align, it, the, the product just never made sense and neither brand was happy with it. Um, so those, you know, in those cases, like after iteration, you know, after three or four rounds of iterating on a design, we're like, okay, this isn't getting anywhere. Um, maybe this doesn't make sense right now. And, you know, that might be if like, for instance, if it's like a high fashion brand or something where the price point wouldn't make sense for our consumer and the end use case of a Teva wouldn't make sense for their consumer. And we're trying to like fit a, a square peg in a round hole. Um, so I would say that's probably like the most common way that collaborations don't work is, is just if we can't align on you know, what makes sense for both brands. Sweet. Thank you so much. Julia, quick question. Um, we've talked a little bit about some of the, these different wholesale um, distributors like REI, where they've created their own set of sustainability standards. Um, I guess because REI carries your guys' brand. So how has that impacted your sustainability stance did it have an impact on it? Did you guys have to make changes because of those standards that they're putting in place? Um, yeah. Do you, I, I mean, maybe that's not even a part of what you do, but I'm just wondering how, when companies come out with those and REI has been a big leader in that, how does that impact companies like you? Yeah, great question. Um, REI is really leading in this space. They've invested a ton uh, on their side in, in developing these standards for their, um, for their wholesale partners. 
And for us, we, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. So we haven't had to like make any significant changes to our product um, in order to be aligned with these standards. If anything, it's like a really good benchmark for us to just be like, okay, where are we within the marketplace? What can we improve on in comparison to other people in the marketplace? Um, and we're starting to see other retailers not necessarily do the same thing in terms of launching their own sustainability credentials, um, but they're they're taking that that lead. Um, so we haven't yet; yeah, hasn't really affected our our product line per se, and that might change depending on you know how much more strict the REI teams get in um, in their standards. Um, but I think what it's also done is it's opened up sort of cross industry collaboration on issues. So one thing that we notice across the entire, you know, footwear, apparel, accessories, outdoor industry is the use of poly bags in packaging. So a poly bag is like the clear plastic bag that the product gets shipped in. Um, So if you like are buying something online and your t-shirt comes in like a poly bag. So it's just excessive use of plastic. Um, And so there's lots of conversation about how can we avoid using poly bags? There's a lot of benefits to using them. It keeps the product clean during transit and protects it from, you know, any sort of damage that it might receive. But how can we get around this? And how can we as an industry work together to create solutions? So um, it's good for benchmarking for us and also for sort of starting those conversations around uh, how can we collaborate as an industry? Awesome. Thank you. I think it's always interesting to see how one company's um, stance on one thing, how that trickles down and has an impact on others. And REI, I think they've done an incredible job because they are such a large retailer and they're sort of an expert in this space. Like most people know that if you need something to go camping, you know, skiing, whatever, whatever the outdoor activity is that you're you're going, you know, you can go to REI and probably get what you need. So um, because they're, they're sort of, they have a lot of market share, they have the power to leverage that over their, their, um, the brands that they purchase. So it's, I think they've done a a good job um, using that power to, to do good in the world. Do the rest of you guys have any questions um, for Julia about her role um, at Tate? Ava, what it's like to work? What is your work day like? What other questions do you guys have? We have about four minutes. I guess I have a question. Um, how do you keep morale up about like solving the issues that come with like sustainability? Because I feel like you can make small gains, but it's really hard to just like think about the whole picture and be like, oh, how can I do this? So I, I guess that's my question. I don't know that I have a perfect answer. Um, Some days are harder than others. Some days you feel really overwhelmed. Um, And I think especially also being in grad school, you know, having to dig into a lot of the research and and look at the problem from a zoomed out view, it can be somewhat overwhelming. Um, And (laughs) sometimes it's like a spiritual, you know, psychological thing that I have to have a conversation with myself that, um, I've, you know, I think each person has a a purpose to, to provide some sort of benefit to the world around them. And, and my small drop in the bucket is one of many 
that are working on this problem. And um, I think it is inspiring to see a lot of other brands taking similar stances and, and really working on um, sustainability in a, in a big way. So um, for the days that I feel overwhelmed, there's, there's some days where I feel hopeful too. So, um, and knowing that, you know, sustainability is being incorporated into courses and programs like this, you know, so this next generation of product developers, designers, product managers are going to be thinking about sustainability um, in a much more holistic way. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Andrew. I'm going to drop my email in the chat if you have anything that you want to reach out about. If you're curious about anything, I'm super happy to continue chatting. Um, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to um, speak with you all this morning. So I hope it was useful. I hope it was helpful. It was great. We always love to hear from our industry um, experts and we appreciate the time you've taken to put your presentation together. It was very informational. I love how you're able to highlight those design process um, steps and how what that looks like for you guys at Tiva. And I love that you were able to address some of the challenges that you guys um, face. You know, keep it real. Um, yeah. As Andrew mentioned, sometimes it does feel like it's a little overwhelming because it is a big problem to tackle. But um, I think I like how um, you, you know, pointed out that you're setting that benchmark and you're looking to where you can make improvements. And that's all any of us can do um, in whatever our, our sphere of influence is, is to see where we're at and see how we can make it better in the next step. So thank you very much. And oh, Chase has also put up Julia's LinkedIn if you'd prefer to connect on LinkedIn with her as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was awesome this morning. It's so great to meet you face to face, Julia. Yeah. Nice to meet you all. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.